Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, Christina. Hello, Chelsea. Hello, Hello Mal. Mal. Hi, sorry, I was looking at a picture of uh, Jeff Goldblum with his shirt unbuttoned. Yep. At at this current age, and I was like, he still got it. I was going to ask, ask like uh, modern or or pre. No, he posted a, He posted a photo of him in his same costume. In fact, I posted it to the group chat. You can see it. Um, anyway, in the same position as he was in Jurassic Park, as like a as a treat to people who have registered to vote. Ah, nice. Wonderful. Thank you, Jeff yeah. Goldblum. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of anyway, thirst, yes. This welcome, is... <laughs> listeners, to Parlor of the Paranormal. Welcome to our spooky parlor where we read terrible paranormal romance novels and then tell you about them. Yep. That's what we do. And this month, we read Midnight Sun. I want Stephanie Meyer to meet me in the Denny's parking lot because oh, she made this book. A 26-hour-long audiobook. It was 26 hours for no reason whatsoever. I told you I, guys what the reason was. It was because Twilight was 13 hours, but Edward doesn't sleep, so he's awake twice as as much. So it's that gotta may be, be true. It's gotta be twice as long. And like, here's the thing. I'm gonna get this out of the way. I'm gonna get my shame out of the way right now, because maybe it's because we've been so low for so long. I didn't hate it. This wasn't terribly written. It no, and here's the thing that I and I want to go into this. First of all, listeners, I hope that you all are aware of who Brian David Gilbert is because yeah. oh, yes. he does he does the good lord's work doing I know random, exactly what you're about to say. Random video game content for Polygon. And one of the videos that he did for Polygons Unraveled was reading the entire Halo series of novels. Uh, and in his recap video where he talked about it, he said, I'm cursed now. I can't go into any conversation without talking about Halo because I have opinions about the Halo novels. And that's me now. That's I have us about Twilight. about Twilight and the Twilight I have series. all of this knowledge about Twilight in my head. I took a bu- BuzzFeed was doing like a Twilight. They were on like a Twilight craze for some reason. I think we were all just going a little n- nuts in quarantine. And um, that's fair. Yeah, we're kind of trying to recapture the magic of the early 2000s. Yeah, <laughs> they had all these Twilight quizzes. It's like, how well do you know Twilight? And I'm real upset that I got like 100% on every single quiz. Oh, that's like both fulfilling in your heart, but also painful. And I'm like, I know all of these answers. And I didn't unwittingly. Want to <laughs> I did not. So we we've already done the review for the first Twilight book, which is, Correct. to be honest, basically what this book already is. But from. Edward's perspective, if people weren't aware about Twilight Midnight Sun. It's also twice as long. It's twice it as long. It is also twice as long. 
If you have not listened to us talk about the Twilight episode, we would highly encourage you to go to our Patreon or just go to wherever your podcast app is and listen to it. It's already live and free for everyone to listen to because we had opinions about Twilight 1 and then we read all of them. We and did. We read we've read all except for the host. We've actually no, there is that one short Twilight novel novella that we haven't read because no it one's, doesn't count. No, it doesn't count. No one's paid for us to read it, and we're not going yeah. to read the host. We're no not. one can make us. No, 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 not the host. I'm talking about the the brief second life of Brie. Uh, yeah, Brianna no, but Taylor. you mentioned Brianna. the host. You said the host. But also, yeah, the host. I was because I was going to say we've read all of Stephanie Meyer's work. Then I was like, no, because I'm not reading the host. But <laughs> we have read so, all of the Twilight Saga so far. Yes. Yeah. So with that being said, we're not going to recap Twilight again because the plot is easy peasy lemon it's squeezy. The same. It's, it's the exactly same thing. It's the same plot. But there was a lot of differences and changes that stirred us, stirred us up and made us think, huh, I have feelings. So yeah, this is going to thoughts. be mostly a discussion about the differences between Midnight Sun and Twilight. Like Mal said, you should definitely go listen to the Twilight episode before this to get a full recap of the plot and also what we felt about it. And for the quote-unquote non-spoilery recap of Midnight Sun, I'm basically just going to say it's Twilight from Edward's point of view. Because yeah, that's, that's the non-spoilery recap. It's, it's a single Twilight sentence. From Edward's yeah. point of view. That's the book. Yeah. Can you hand me a tissue? I'm sorry. Can I hand you a tissue? Can I hand you a tissue? It's right there. I don't even know if I want to cut this. Because this is just like, I've had to grab you things for the I'm past so hour. I'm so sorry. I know I what I'm getting do feel Chelsea bad for Christmas. It. Get her a long, grabby arm That's claw. That's what I'm hand. getting, oh yes. for Christmas. Please. Also, uh, I really want one of those uh, fly salt guns. The shoots uh, rock salt fl at flies? Yes. I require this in my life. That seems dangerous. <sighs> I was outside in a park all day yesterday, so now my allergies You're are about like, to be the outside. fuck is wrong with you? You're I know, my allergies are just going to be like, what is happening? We have been inside for six months. What are you doing? Anyway, so here's, okay, my, okay, initially, and I think most people have seen that I posted on Twitter that I'm going to fight Stephanie Meyer um, because she wrote this fucking book and now we're reading it and has also said that she's going to make many more Twilight books, which inevitably we're going to be forced to read. Correct. Yes. Here's the thing. My initial impression, I have two initial impressions, of, like by the time I got halfway through the book, one of which is. Stephanie Meyer's writing has gotten a lot better. It has. <laughs> it has. And that's something I want to commend her for. And that's something yeah. that I also want to bring up. So I was in the car with my roommate, Christina, your baby boy. And when you first get into my car, the thing that was just playing on my phone starts autoplaying, which of right. course at the time of this was Midnight Sun. And she said, is that the new Twilight book? And then I went on a 15 minute rant about Stephanie Meyer's writing. Yeah. Which mm -hmm. the, that's one thing I want to notice and note is that her writing has in fact improved because it she really has, has spent a lot of years doing it and has gotten better at it over time. Yes. I, I would like to say her sentence structure is really good. The way her paragraphs lead up to like the subject or object of the event, the, your focus, the way she draws your focus to like this specific part. Cause a lot of, with a lot of the Twilight books, the way it works is that you're listening to a paragraph or reading for the case of the ladies, and it's a lot of exposition about something that's metaphorically about something else. Specifically in the books, it could be about food or the way Edward looks or lots of talk about like religious zealotry and your absolute fascination with God and no sex before marriage. And a lot of the slowdown of the book makes people be like, just give me the ending. Just, just, just give it to me. And the thing is that with this one, with Midnight Sun, she did that well. 
versus the previous books where I was like, just kill me. Well, and here's the other thing that I noticed. I know we joke about the reason that this is twice as long as Twilight is because Edward doesn't sleep. Yes. But the actual reason it's twice as long as Twilight is because, oh, there's actual like character development and there's actual like, like I found myself sitting there and being like, hmm. Bella and I would have been friends in high school. Here's the thing about that. I have mixed feelings about that. Because Midnight Sun does a good job of making Bella a human being. Midnight Sun has like, okay, let me show you this person. And we're going to show that she actually has like traits and characteristics. And emotions. And and emotions about things. Because beforehand she was an insert. However, what frustrates me is the fact that I think the only reason that is possible is because Stephanie Meyer wrote the original series and knew where Bella was going to end up. Maybe, but the other thing is that, like, the other thing is that there were so many added instances in this book and there were so many more scenes that were more well plotted out where it's like, oh, Bella has, like, a personality now. Bella in this book is a different person from Bella in Twilight. She is. It's 100%. almost like I'm reading this book like Stephanie Meyer regrets how she wrote Twilight and is trying to backtrack, but can only backtrack to a certain degree. That yeah. is, the, and that's how I feel about it. And that's why I have mixed feelings because to a certain yeah. point, it feels a little bit like revisionist history. It yeah. feels like she's going back and inserting like a great example of it in early on in Midnight Sun. There is a bit where Edward is watching Bella interact because basically what happens is you, we see it from his point of view. They meet. He wants to kill her. He has a crisis about it. He decides that he's going to leave Forks, but then he can't leave Forks. And then everybody's mad at him because it's like, you're going to spoil our secret. And he's like, I should stay away from her, but I can't stay away from her. It's a whole thing. Edward's going through a lot, apparently, all the time. Edward is going through. Edward... You took a perfectly good 17-year-old boy who was about to die from the Spanish flu and you gave him anxiety. <laughs> you Pretty ruined much. a perfectly good 17-year-old dying boy. Look at him. He's got anxiety. Yeah. He um, ba- I'm basically like, oh, buddy, you. there needs to be vampire therapy. There, there very does. Much needs. There honestly does because just like Christina was saying, it's like there's now more depth to Edward too, which I'm appreciating because beforehand it was just like Bella's like, this stone god yeah. who's so beautifully sculpted. Meanwhile, inside his head, Edward's like, is there something in my teeth? Does she like me? Oh, God. Yeah. What if There's this also, like, so when we talked about Twilight, we talked about how fucking creepy it was that Edward was constantly going to her room every night. Still creepy. And was, it's still oh, creepy. Yeah. Yes, it is absolutely <laughs> still creepy. And the thing is, as I was reading all those parts, it was almost like Stephanie Meyer's like, fuck, I backed myself into a corner here because every single character is like, this isn't good. Yeah. <laughs> It's, this it's, this should not be happening. Why am I doing this? It's like, so what I was going to say earlier was that very early on in the book when Edward is over his original like, oh my God, I need to kill her and drink her blood. And I'm what does that mean for my family? Panic. He's obsessively just kind of stalking Bella to know more about her. And he listens into her talking with the other people at school and like listenings into hundred conversations to try and learn more about her. And so Edward mentions a bunch of stuff that Bella does that we never see in Twilight. He mentions a lot of instances of her being nice to people and going out of her way to be kind and inclusive to people that doesn't happen in Twilight at all. Yeah. And that's why I'm like, 
oh, she's like a fully, re and that's like, and it goes into like what she likes and what she doesn't like and how she is, like it goes into, oh, she wants to go to college so that she can either be a librarian or an English teacher or like an editor at a publishing company. It's like, oh, she has like thoughts and feelings and dreams about her future. And I, again, I'm sitting here like, we would have been friends. That's weird. Two of my quibbles with that bit specifically was because in the original series, the first four books of Twilight, Bella doesn't want to go to college. She doesn't. Yeah. She does no, not, not want to go to college. No, Stephanie Meyer is absolutely revite. And I'm sitting here like, I almost am like, you should rewrite the next three books in this sense where things are totally different because you clearly are looking back on those book series and you're like, Oh, those sucked. She's taken, Fuck. she's gotten complaints and she's taken them. The thing about yeah. it too is that, yes, there are scenes where Bella is doing things that we never knew of. And I think one of the reasons you could say, I guess it's okay, is that Bella in the previous books didn't pay attention to herself because Bella in the previous books was an insert. You were supposed to relate to this character and see yourself as this character so you could be with a vampire. Mm -hmm. And so we're seeing scenes where she does go out of her way and be kind and at the same time kind of doesn't want to be noticed or does interact in conversations, assisting someone else in the conversation saying, oh, yeah, I saw that, too. Or, oh, I heard that, too, or blah, blah, blah. She even does things to the point that's completely out of her way and almost self-sacrificing where she'll be like, oh, yeah, I saw that band, band in concert when she doesn't even know what band she's talking about or, or things like that. There's like, oh, what place do you want to go to the most? And one of her friends says Comic-Con and everyone's making fun of them. And she's like, oh, I'd love to go to Comic-Con. She has no idea what the fuck Comic-Con is. Yeah, yeah. She because... says it so that everyone stops make fun of, making fun of this one kid. Yeah. And the other thing that I want to say about those, specifically like the I want to go to college so I can do publishing or whatever, is because that's the profession that Anastasia Steele is in in the Fifty Shades of Grey series. Oh, God. And that makes me wonder... Which came first? Because the first few chapters of Midnight Sun were leaked, I think, before Fifty Shades of Grey was made. I'm looking into this up. I'm looking this up. We have to know this. Because, yeah. like, either either this is something that happened because of Fifty Shades of Grey or Fifty Shades of Grey is based on these chapters from Midnight Sun. Because Fifty Shades of Grey is just a write-in, right? It is. It's straight up. Yeah. It is 100% straight up a fanfic of Twilight with Anastasia Steele being the stand-in for Bella Swan. So if Anastasia Steele is in publishing because Bella wants to be in publishing, I will laugh, uh, but it makes sense. If Bella wants to be in publishing because that's what Anastasia Steele was in, I would be like, can we, can E.L. James or whatever her name is, Sue? Like, Okay, I've got, I've got good news. I've got good news. Okay. Midnight Sun leaked in 2008. Fifty Shades of Grey was published in 2011. Okay, yeah. So, okay, all right. Okay. So it's part of the fanfic. That makes sense. Yeah. Still all right. Gross. So that, so yeah, that means that E.L. James wrote that after reading the leaked chapters of Midnight, Midnight Sun. Sun. Makes sense. Yeah. Okay. So, but yeah, so one thing I want to bring to attention from what you were saying, Mal, uh, is yes. the, like, part of the reason that Bella doesn't mention stuff about herself is because she's the one doing it. You don't necessarily, when talking about your day, mention every little thing that happens. Yeah. She's not going to focus on this nice interaction she had sticking up for a person. Because in Twilight, Bella is not the focus of the book. She's Correct. the per point of view character, but the focus of the book is Edward. Completely. 100%. The thing about that, which is bad with Twilight, is that I come out of Twilight not knowing why Bella likes Edward, other than the fact that he's hot. Accurate, yeah. Yeah, 
Other than the fact yep. that, she, that he's hot, I don't know why she likes him. I kind of. And then none of us have any fucking idea why Edward likes Bella. Well, now in Midnight well, now, Sun, but we do. Yes. yes, in Twilight, we have no idea why Edward likes Bella at all. But we don't need to because we're not in Edward's head. We're in Bella's head. We need to understand why she likes him, which we don't. In Midnight Sun, we now fully understand why Edward likes Bella because we are shown from his point of view all the things she does that are endearing to him. Yes. But I feel like we're also given more insight onto why Bella likes him because there are scenes disagree. that are more played out. I Okay, okay, okay I'm going to okay. argue against... Hang on, hang on, let me... I know, I hate myself for this, but let me defend Stephanie Meyer a little bit. Because, here's my reasoning, we are given more of an insight onto like them getting to know each other and realizing the things that they actually have in common and that they actually like doing together and why they like being around each other outside of the fact that he's a vampire and he's pretty. Uh, so I can see where an attraction actually forms, whereas when we read the original books, we were like, what the fuck do they have in common? I, I just is, I just disagree entirely. This is Mal that a whole time Chelsea was talking. Mal's just in the corner, just shaking his head. Like, I fully agree with you, Chelsea, that we do get to see more of them actually getting to know each other and having conversations with each other about like their likes and dislikes and stuff. However, we don't get to really see the insight of the growth of because, again, knowing Bella's perspective of those events those are not the things that she talked about. And you could argue it's because no, they yeah. didn't happen in Twilight. They didn't exist yeah. in Twilight. Stephanie Meyer didn't write them. But also Stephanie Meyer was a terrible writer when she wrote Twilight. And she is definitely a lot better now that she's writing Midnight Sun. Yes. But now so, still reading Midnight Sun, it does still seem to me like Bella's main draw to Edward is the fact that he's really hot. And I feel like that's actually... a a consequence of Stephanie Meyer writing herself into a corner and being like, fuck. Yeah. Because they still, despite my defense, despite saying like, oh, they actually like court and date in this book. And it's actually like, there's a progress that's still like, why do they love each other already after the first date? That's stupid. Yeah. And I feel like that's a, that's a consequence of Stephanie Meyer having written Twilight already and being like, well, trapped in that framework. Yeah, I think a part of it for Bella, it explains just a little bit more in this book, is that she definitely still has that he's hot. She definitely has that fascination about this other world, other life, other darkness or whatever, because you just met a vampire who can also read minds but can't read yours. But it, it does explain a little bit about the fact that Bella has always been different. And I hate saying that because it's like she doesn't want to go to prom. She doesn't didn't want to go to college in that book but does in this one she she doesn't want to do a lot of the things that normal people do she doesn't like going wearing dresses she's not like going shopping she's more into like the quiet life and the concept for her about edward that she likes is he's he he's quiet he likes to read books he likes to just fucking hang out and chill with his family to her that's just like oh this is amazing because a lot of her comments from twilight and also midnight sun are oh i really like your house or your family's really nice or I like to read books, too. And the thing is, it's not just Edward and Bella that are more realized characters. It's yes. literally everyone in the series, except I would argue. Except Mike Rosalie. And Rosalie. Yep. Yeah. I would say Mike and Rosalie are exactly the same people that you yep. remember from the original series. In fact, Rosalie, I was even more. Because Rosalie, I started to warm up to in the original series. Because yeah. like, oh, I, I understand where she's coming from. Like, I get this. And I actually started hating her more the more we interacted with her in this book. In yep. this book, Rosalie is 100% made out to be basically like a villain. 
Like, yeah. she yep. is the main antagonist against Edward up until the whole situation with the tracker trying to kill Bella. Like, up until that point, the main conflict is that Rosalie hates their relationship so much. And the main reason given for that is that Rosalie is upset that Edward loves somebody else when he could have been in love with her. Uh, that's a part of it. The other that's part, a part of, of it, it is that everyone in the Cullen family kind of knows very early, and this is a scene that we didn't get in Twilight, that with Alice's vision that there's a high, high probability that Bella will become a vampire. And so, and going on to what was already written about Rosalie in the original series, which it's like she sort of is against Bella because if she had a choice, she would not have chosen to be a vampire. But that's still, like, the amount of venom that Rosalie has towards mm -hmm. Bella still doesn't make any fucking sense. It, it's not logical. less sense now that we have more insight into her. Right, and that's why I was saying that her main problem with that relationship is her being sort of jealous that Edward likes somebody else. It's yeah. because... The thing is, her saying, I don't think you guys should be together because I know you want to be a vampire and I don't think you're doing it for the right reasons. I don't think that you, if you were a vampire, you would actually like it. That's something that's explored in the original Twilight series. And I think that's a valid reason to be against the relationship. But I think so. And I think that Rosalie even expressed that's not her being against Bella. Yeah. In this book, she hates Bella. Yes. Specifically. Like, literally, there's a, like, we get back to the end of the book when, like, Bella's being tracked by James, who wants to kill her, and Rosalie's almost like, let him. Yeah. yeah. Rosalie does not also help, as we kind of know from the original Twilight book, we learn even more so. She just doesn't help The only all. reason she does the minimal amount of help is to save Emmett. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. And it doesn't make any sense as to, like... Well, I mean, it does in this in the universe we're given, we're shown Rosalie as being this petty, vain, really self-centered person. And that doesn't endear anyone to her. And the fact that is throughout the book, Edward even is really contradictory about this because he talks about loving her as a sister all the time. But he also talks about she's the worst. I hate her. She's shallow. Yeah. And the thing is, he literally describes book, he literally yeah. describes her thoughts as a shallow pool. And the thing yeah. is. As the reader, we're like, yeah, fuck this bitch. Jesus. And it doesn't it doesn't make any sense. And here's another thing that I'm frustrated with in this book, as far as the writing style and as far as the characterization of Edward, is that Edward is very contradictory. And this is the original established Twilight butting up against the revisionist history that Stephanie Meyer is trying to put into it. So, for example, early in the book, again, Edward is ruminating on the nature of love and he is ruminating on the nature of attachment. And how everyone else in his family has fallen in love with somebody and it's been so instantaneous and passionate and lasting because that's the nature of vampirism. It locks you in the state you were when you died and you never change. But if you never change, then how do you fall in love? That's the whole thing. But he's saying that any change that does come to a vampire is something that will last forever. A change cannot be undone. It will be like, so Carlisle fell in love with Esme and he is going to be in love with her for the rest of his life. And he will feel it like it's a new, fresh love for the rest of his life because that right. emotion is yes. now crystallized in him. And it will be the same for Edward when he falls in, as he falls in love with Bella. 
And and to add on to that, we learn about that because Edward retells scenes from specifically points when like Emmett gets turned. Yeah. And about how Esme gets turned. And so we have that exact thing you just said kind of described to us in those kinds of scenes. And it's sort of described as basically it's them remembering what it's like to be human. And that's what causes the change to happen, which it's like. There was a lot of like vampire lore that was never explained in the original Twilight series that is being explained in this one that is like, oh, that makes a lot more sense. But the problem that I have with that is that in the same breath, almost, Edward is now talking about learning patience over the years and learning how to he talks about how uh, Jasper is reckless or how Rosalie doesn't understand things the way he does because he's older than them and he's had more time and more experience. Edward explicitly says that he has changed from when he was turned and yeah. he is a different person now, which makes yeah. no sense if he is locked into his previous personality from the get go. Correct, because he says in the series, I am a monster and I am a vampire and I'm always going to be that way. And yet he does give examples of how he used to hunt down people that were evil and kill them, how he has grown, how he has become not, you know, frenzied at the scent of blood, how he can go to high school, all these things that are changed, the things that have made him and also the rest of the Cullen family have as well grown into their roles as being vampires. But still every day, Edward's like, I'm a monster. She can't love me. Right. But he also is then claiming like, oh, I can't I, I can't change. I'll be this way forever. I will be in love with Bella forever, blah, blah, blah. It just, it bothers me that it's very contradictory in how Edward thinks of himself and how he also thinks of himself. And he doesn't seem to realize that contradiction in saying that I will never change, but also I have changed a lot over the years. And, and And I think it's another example of Stephanie Meyer writing herself into a corner that is just like, that just sucks. And it would have like Midnight Sun almost would have been better if she had just like totally scrapped a lot of the stuff from Twilight and sort of started over with just like a basic framework. She could obviously she wasn't going to do that. I actually don't know if that would have been possible because of the fact that it's it's impossible for us to mentally separate our view of 2000, 2008 Bella front to 2020 Bella. Yeah, it's about fair. how you always envisioned someone as this character. Like I've always seen Edward as smooth, classy gentlemanly but i feel like in this book stephanie meyer did a good job of melding in his insecurity his complete contradictions all the time obviously like we were just discussing but that also he is someone who has a lot of back and forth he has a lot of critical thinking and he also has to weigh those things all the time there's also like when i read the original series i clearly saw all of the shallow depictions from the movie in every character and when I, as I was reading this book, the visions in my, the, the picture in my head of what everyone looked like became vastly different than from the actors that portrayed them in the movies. Yeah. What is interesting to me, um, I had a point I was going to make that oh, it's gone. Sorry. 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 Um, we just all have feelings. Yeah. No, I, um, oh yeah. No, there was a meme. Sorry. There was a meme that somebody put on somewhere. I can't remember. Uh, I think somebody actually sent it to us, uh, either via Twitter or our Discord, which was a screenshot from Tumblr of Midnight Sun is, uh, from Edward's point of view, panic at the me. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's not panic at the disco, it's panic at the me. Because the whole book is Edward panicking, basically, for one reason or another. 
and he's smooth about it, but inside he's just screaming. Yeah, Which I relate. <laughs> it's, so he's learned how to not like show outwardly that he's freaking out constantly, but in the entire book he's freaking he out. And he's going back and forth between, did I do the right thing? What should I be doing? Am I doing the right thing now? And it's it, it does humanize him a lot, but it also gets a little bit freaking annoying, especially at the beginning, where he can't make a decision. And also, here's the thing I want to bring up that I don't know if Stephanie Meyer realizes she's doing. And it's that all of the Cullens have this huge crutch about decision making where none of them freaking make a choice unless they ask Alice about it first. Yeah, I think I think the specific reason for that. And again, it's being boxed into the old book is because they've become so reliant on that as a trait, just like they also we see become so reliant on Edward because sometimes things will happen and they'll all look at Edward and wait for him to hear in people's minds if anyone noticed them being weird. Yeah. So they're so reliant yeah. on those tools that they have given up other, uh, air quotes, senses or, or their own action of choice. And also, like, they... They sort of talk about that in the book where Edward's like, I need to fucking leave this place because if I don't, I may murder a whole bunch of people. And it's actually brought up that they're like, no, you can't leave because we, we need your mind reading capabilities so that we will be safe. Yeah. Like, But at the same time, Edward refuses to make a choice ultimately without consulting Alice about how it's going to go down. Mm -hmm. And right. this is a mechanic that is used a lot in the book and something that would make sense and and. To a certain extent, we knew happened, but we see it a lot in Midnight Sun. Yeah. Is that because Edward can read Alice's mind, to a certain extent, he can also see the future. He gets to see the visions that she sees. And so a lot of the book is them talking about possible potential futures that are going to happen and talking about the visions that Alice saw and the, the ramifications of them, but also the choices that would lead to them. And right. Edward's hung up on them constantly because he is so worried about trying to avoid the potential future of turning Bella into Bella into a vampire that he like goes out of his way to do things to avoid that happening but also like basically the two things are presented to him early in their relationship there is the possibility of Bella turning into a vampire and a possibility of Bella being murdered by him and, and that's the one of the only two really Alice kind of shows. Yeah. And she does hint that there's like a, there's an in-between gray area, but I don't know how to get us there. Yeah. Alice is also kind of selfish. Because, Alice is incredibly selfish. Yeah. Because she's pushing Edward towards this instead of allowing him to try and not because he's like, she's human. She should allow to, she should be allowed to be human. And, Bella, and, and Alice is like, no, because we're going to be best friends. So you have to get with her right now. Yeah, because Alice can see in the future, in the vampire future, she sees herself with Bella being really close and having this really close relationship. And this is a frustrating thing also with Alice as a character, is we're told in the book that when Alice first met the family, she just walked up to Edward and then showed him their entire future together in his yeah. mind and was like, yeah. this is my past and also my entire future. Now you know everything about me and where we're going to be in our relationship is fixed. And he's like, okay, I guess we're brother and sister now. Yeah. I now have all these emotions towards you, I guess, which is not how that would work. No. Like, right. just because you know what's going to happen doesn't mean that you have those same emotions towards the person seeing and experiencing are two different things 
Right. And they just take everything that Alice says at face value. Exactly. And so and because Alice... Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mal. No, um, no, go ahead. Because Alice is, is seeing a future where her and Bella are friends, she is now projecting her uh, presumed emotions about Bella onto her without actually ever getting to know her in person. And then she's forcing other people to comply with that. She's being like, you have to introduce me to Bella now because I want to be friends with her now. You have to do, you have to be with Bella because I want to be friends with her. And it's almost as if Alice's love for Bella before they even meet to Alice supersedes everything else. It doesn't matter. Yeah. It's the only thing that matters to her. The story then becomes not about Edward loving Bella. It becomes about Alice going to love Bella. I, I think to add on to that, it becomes the Cullens having to adapt to Bella mm -hmm. because each of the Cullens in a way have to adjust some less than others like Rosalie or or maybe more like others. Anyway. I would I would honestly say the only Cullen that doesn't have to adapt is Alice because even Edward has to try and adapt so that he doesn't want to immediately kill yeah. her. Alice is the only one who doesn't have to adapt at all. And that kind of puts everyone in danger, including Bella. And especially to the last scenes, because again, if you listen to us talk about Twilight, I hope, or you've maybe read the book yourself, there's this whole thing at the end where Bella goes to the dance studio and gets caught by what was his name? Jason James. 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 And we get to see the other side of the coin where the Cullens land in Florida. Arizona. Phoenix. Arizona. Sorry. I just imagine them both being dry and hot. And arrives. Florida is not dry. Florida's so wet. Florida's so wet, my dude. <laughs> I'm glad to know this, or maybe I'm not. Florida's so humid and damp. It's so moist. Yeah, it's all awful. the time. So in. Arizona. Yes. yes. Arizona is a dry climate. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yes. So they, they, we see them touch down in Arizona and everyone already knows at this point that Bella has gone. And the moment they touch down has with upon meeting Alice that she's been kidnapped or willingly has been held hostage and all and all of what's going to happen. They already know. But that contradicts with the desire that Edward's like, got to get there fast. Got to go fast. And all this other stuff that happens in between the airport and to saving Bella. Like, Alice is like, well, we have to pick up this car. We're going to cop at the cops. Or we have to take this other car because then people will figure out we're vampires. And it's all this other stuff, which conflicts with Edward just being like, my future possible wife might die, like, right now. And I need you to cut this shit out. And this is the thing that's really interesting about The Midnight Sun as a book, is that a lot of the content of the book is taken up with describing, you could argue, action scenes. Like, yeah. Yeah. Twilight as a book was very introspective. A lot of it was Bella talking about her own feelings and talking about her own experiences and musing kind of on the idea of Edward. Whereas and a still lot of, did not delve into who she is as a person ever. Or why she liked him. Again, it's just because he's hot. Uh, but in Midnight Sun, a lot of the action, what I think a lot of what took up time was describing things that people were doing in a more physical sense. So, for instance, in Midnight Sun, there or in Twilight originally, there is the baseball scene where they go out to play baseball during a storm because it's America's pastime, whatever. whatever. Um, in Midnight Sun, that whole scene is expanded upon a lot. They yeah. describe yeah. basically every single thing that happens in that in that game. 
And I remember like listening to it because I listened to the audiobook and being like, no one should ever write about baseball ever. Uh, <laughs> no one should ever write a book where they describe playing baseball. I will die. Please make it stop. Look, I love baseball. Like it's the one sport that I actually fully enjoy. Well, besides rugby, fully enjoy and like have teams that I root for. And even I'm like, you don't need to write about baseball. I, th- I think the actual reason for that being, and we kind of see that also where Edward and Edward is more noticing of actions too, because Edward is more noticing that person's walking this way or that person has this trait or whatever the fuck it may be. And I think the reason is because the vampires notice more things than than humans do, which is a shitty reason for that to be the the way the book is written. Like, I don't think that should be the reason why it's like, and we're going to describe baseball in like 12 grueling pages. Yeah. Like, ugh. it was the just rules of vampire baseball. That part was a bit unnecessary. And also it's difficult for me because as somebody who does not make mental images, trying to translate a visual medium into an audio medium is difficult because I don't see what you're ma- what you're describing. So if you're yeah. just talking about where everybody is and then everyone's moving to a different location and they're hitting a ball around, I will want to die, which is what happened during that <laughs> segment. But there was another bit later on, much later. So the big part where I think this book deviates from the original Twilight is everything that happens after they split up when they're trying to avoid the tracker. Yes. yes. I think that when the tracker comes, when James and Victoria and Lamont, what is his name, Lamont? I just want to say. Laurent? Laurent. Laurent. I think it's Laurent is how it's supposed to be pronounced. It's pronounced Laurent. Yeah, but fucking Laurent. Laurent, Laurent, French. When the three of them show up and then Bella's in danger and she needs to run, you do see a lot more of the interplay between the vampires and you do see a lot more of their, like, the way that they work together in a crisis situation, which I actually found pretty dang interesting. Almost that was really cool from the get go. So, for instance, there is that whole bit where the other vampire coven shows up and we know from Edward because Edward's in everyone else's head as Edward as a POV character is very interesting because he allows us to have everyone else as a POV character, too. Right. Yeah. Um. And he can Except- switch. He can switch focus in a way and be like, for the next couple of pages, I'm from Alice's perspective or the villain's perspective, which which was what, really nice. What, however, what is also interesting is something that was never mentioned in the original Twilight series, which would have helped make more sense. Is that he can't really read Charlie? That, that is was so thing. cool. That was I was going to bring yeah. that up. That was really was cool gonna, too. Because he also learns about Renee as well. And we'll we'll talk about that next, but that was really cool because this this book does go into deeper depths about the characters. And I think what you were gonna say, Christina, was about how Jasper's powers mm-hmm. are a lot more depthful than we yeah. really first realized. And so that's something we definitely put a pin in it. We absolutely have to talk about Charlie and Renee in this book versus in the original Twilight. But in this book, from the almost the get-go, when the coven arrives, we see how Jasper handles that situation, where Jasper's immediately like, I am able to make myself look incredibly uninteresting. And I, you don't want to look at me, I'm really boring, you'd rather be looking at anybody else. And he does that to himself, and he does that to Alice, and he does that to Esme, and he does that to Bella. He takes, like, the quote-unquote weakest members of the Cullen coven, and he makes him, like, he hides them under a, a smokescreen of being boring, so that the other 
coven doesn't notice them. But then we also see a little bit, what's interesting about that is big first, because we see that from the outside of Edward looking at him and being like, oh, why would I want to look at Jasper? And then realizing that's what's happening. Yeah, he realizes that Jasper's powers are, he says to himself, I didn't know Jasper could do that. Yeah. That's like really cool. It's a, it's a thing, defense mechanism. Yeah, and the thing is, Jasper's powers, now that they're be, being more described to us, now suddenly a lot of thing about a lot of things about the family themselves make way more sense. Because they have a specific dynamic on how they handle any situation. And how they are perceived by the public. Yeah. Completely. And what's really interesting again from that same scene is that as he's doing two more things. First, he is making himself very boring, but he's making Edward seem really attention grabbing and instigating yep. specifically. He does. He also yeah. makes Emmett specifically seem large. Yeah. He makes he makes Edward the focal point that, oh, I'm going to look at him, but also makes Emmett creep in with how large he is out of the peripheral of your zone. He makes the uh, the coven feel like these two people specifically are very imposing. These are the people you should be spending time on and focusing on so that they ignore everybody else. But as soon as the attention is specifically put on Bella, we get to see Jasper immediately be like, okay, uh, I'm not protecting Bella anymore. I'm not gonna, I don't care about her anymore. I'm, I'm yeah. my focus is on there's, me and Alice. There, I am there's putting a that on us and no one else now. There's a reason why, and it's specifically because it was in the first book, the wind shifted and no one yeah. in the in the clan has, no one in the clan has control of the fucking wind. Yeah. So he does that and even Edward's like, I hate that you did that. I hate that you stopped protecting her, but also I get why. Because then that would have made the other clan be like, why is it we didn't notice them before? But they yeah. also do that anyway. They also are like, hold on, who's this <laughs> nerdy little kid in the back who's Jasper? Yeah. It's like, wait, hold on a second. So, and we also get more insight into how fucking dangerous Jasper is. Jasper yeah. is is ripped. Not Jasper. only is he ripped, but it's like we talked about it when we re when we were reading the other series. It's like, why why did did she make him a soldier for the South? Why did yeah? Why is he a Confederate soldier? <laughs> but anyway, that's like never brought up in this book. By the way, mentioned up. still still not addressed. But they just talk about the fact that before he came to be with the family, he was like a soldier in a completely different war. And that makes him tactical and very dangerous. And we go into more about Jasper's mindset because we barely see or talk about him almost at all in the original series, except for the little bit when we find out he was a Confederate soldier. And it's like, what and the fuck? I, I think the reason for that to piggyback is because he didn't want to be noticed. No, no. And that's entirely true. Yeah. Well, here's the thing about that also is you can say in character, Jasper didn't want to be noticed, but that's not the original reason. No, that's no, not the that's original, not the original no. reason. That's, that's true. Stephanie Meyer's writing style is definitely the original reason. Yeah, she can go in She can go in the past and be like, oh, it's because he was making you feel that way. And everyone's like, oh, my God, that's so cool. But that's not the actual reason. No, That's it's her like, making up a reason after the fact. It's right. J.K. Rowling after all of the books came out being like, by the way, Dumbledore was gay. And that's why the whole thing with Grindelwald happened. And it's like. Okay, but maybe you should have mentioned that in the book. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can tell when something was planned in advance and when something is an explanation after the fact. Jasper, See also everything J.K. Rowling has done after the fact. <laughs> Jasper is an explanation after the fact. And it works in Midnight Sun. But also in the next following scenes from everything they do after the fact of when Emmett and uh, Carlisle and Edward 
go on try and track down James, like try to hunt yeah. him and the tactics they use and how they're trying to use Alice basically to as a as a dowsing rod to point them in the right direction. Yeah. But again, their dependence dependency upon Alice to make decisions completely hinders their critical thinking skill because none of them ever think about the idea that maybe he's running to an airport. It never yeah. occurred yes. to them that he's leading them to an airport at all. And then when they get to Arizona, they do the same thing where there's a car chase now. They have to chase yeah. Bella and they're like, okay, we need to get a car. Okay, not this car. If we pick this car, this is what this happens. And that whole scene is actually described in a really interesting way. I found myself really interested in that sequence. I, I also am like, Stephanie Meyer is obsessed with cars. Yes. She loves cars. You can yes. tell. She really fucking <laughs> loves a lot. cars. And the thing is, we kind of pick up on that, I think, in like book four and book three, just a tiny bit. But yeah. There's a lot of car love, specifically in like the end of this book. Everyone in the Collins love cars. Yeah. Edward and specifically, one, Rosalie also. It's the one different thing about Rosalie that is not a negative that happens because it turns out Rosalie's really good with cars. Yeah. That's, that's it, though. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> that's her only redeeming quality. Um, but it's it's just that whole sequence of them basically, and that was also a weird sequence too, is it because was. they did a lot of stuff that you're like, how okay, this is really morally gray, you guys. Where like also, for instance, do I need this? <laughs> do I need this? But also like they so they they steal some cars. They steal a lot of cars and they like they steal a lot hop of cars, around. Yeah. There's a whole involved sequence with them weaving through traffic and describing that car chase. And it should be tedious. But the way it's done is actually very interesting. It was done very. I was. Yeah. I was gripped because it's, I was it's, gripped. It's, it's weird because it's a car chase of one car. Yeah, because they do specific it's also things. It's a car so chase where you already know the end outcome. I mean, yeah. yep, that's the whole fucking book. But well, yeah, it's what's interesting is yeah, it's like they do these specific things so the cops don't find yeah. them, and they but you got to go fast to do it because they're going somewhere and they got to be there really quick. And they, I think you're about to mention it, they cause a car accident. They purposefully cause a large car accident. Yeah, where Emmett flips a vehicle into oncoming traffic so that people will hit it. And it's like, yeah, no one dies, but like you guys definitely injured people. And also they see a woman driving a car that they want because that's it. The car goes fast enough. It's the only thing that will fit all of them. They need this vehicle. So they straight up drug her and leave her on the side of the road so they yep. can steal her car. And I'm yep. just like, what the crap, you guys? This is Was a that lot of morally gray stuff that you did without any forethought or yep. coordination. Like, you had no hesitation, Carlisle, and before you ran up and drunk this woman. <laughs> yep, he was just like, I know what I gotta do. I know I can't do no harm, but today I'm not a doctor. Yeah, <laughs> and not, And then it's like, what else What else is it that they do? They, um... Oh, well, there okay, so oh. there's the scenes afterwards where... And again, Alice sees the future, so she kind of, I guess, air quotes, already knew. But a lot of this was her, you could argue, if she saw the future of what she planned to help cover up the tracks of the whole entire event, that means that innately she had these thoughts. So yeah. her thought is to throw herself two floors down, and of course she can't get injured, but two floors down a hotel like staircase, and then she picks up blood and throws blood everywhere. Like, I'm that was some lengths to, to make it look like she Bella. She steals blood from someone's hospital room. Yeah, yeah. she does. 
Uh, there's a lot. I get, the thing about it is I I didn't question like Alice having those thoughts because I am a similar kind of person. <laughs> and I know this about myself because of having to plan like heists and stuff in D&D, where if we have to do something to cover it up, like we had a similar thing happen in D&D once where you guys had to fake somebody's death. And instantly, like, Kate oh, yeah. showed up like, what if I polymorphed a pig to look like a body? And it was just <laughs> kind of like, some people are just like that. So I didn't Some people just have these ideas. And then who was it who was like, oh, yeah, and then we'll just put the pig and that's we'll from polymorph in into acid. acid. Yeah. And I was like, these are my friends. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I... <laughs> Like, I had a similar yeah. situation recently where I had to plan a heist in D&D where I was just kind of like, okay, but hold on. This person doesn't need to breathe. What if we put him inside of a bag of holding? And it's just like a whole thing. Some people just have those thoughts. So for me, that wasn't weird. Oh, okay, cool. Because for me, it was like, yes, you can see the future that you're going to plan this, but also you're weird. <laughs> like, this is this is a lot. Can we talk Alex? about the time when in my D&D campaign, you guys uh, spread a plague into a city so that you could escape? No, 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 no. That We're not bringing not this up here. That was not intentional. That was not intentional. I'm going to argue not our fault, but God's fault. Moving on. We're talking about okay. Twilight. What's well, another interesting thing about the dynamic of the Coens in that scene specifically, throughout the whole book, you kind of get to see a little bit of the dynamic of the Coens. You see a lot about how Edward and Alice relate to each other. You see a lot about how Edward thinks of Carlisle specifically. There's a lot of introspection his and about Esme. his dad. And Esme. Uh, not to an extent, I think. I think in the tears of like Edward's introspection about his siblings. Yeah. It's, or about his family. It's Alice is at the top. Carlisle, Rosalie, and then Esme. Yeah, but Esme became kind of interesting in this book because she's so motherly. Yeah. Yeah. She's very protective and she's with it and she doesn't she doesn't bat an eye. She's like to protect my family. She's immediate and it's like she was she's I guess she's not technically younger than um Edward, Chronologically, she, she's she's been alive or, or a vampire for fewer years than he has. For a few years, but she's been alive longer. Yeah. But she is immediately like it goes back into when it was just the three of them before Rosalie came along. And she is so protective of Edward, especially. It's very interesting. Because there's a lot of scenes in the book where we listen from Edward's perspective about the past and mm -hmm. about each of the family members. And I really I really like that. It really even if you don't like Rosalie and continue not to like the scene where she actually finds and rescues Emmett, who was mauled by a bear, who I'm just going to say it wasn't detailed in the book. Emmett, as a human, tried fighting a bear. Yeah, no, that's yeah. never explained why Emmett was alone with a bear. Never yeah. talked about, we've, never explained. Yeah, we've been told in the original series that that's how Emmett was turned, is he was dying from bear mauling. We, and then in this book, it's detailed like how Rosalie found him. Yeah. And Edward makes the... Uh, the realization that like oh she doesn't even care about ruining her favorite dress with his yeah, blood because the fact that the fact they comment on the fact that she can even ignore all of the blood because there's blood everywhere from Emmett and she doesn't even sense it because she just air quotes knows or some shit and is like yeah. Carlisle save him and that's and, um, freaking they put mystic soul bonds in twilight explicitly they explicitly yes. have now put mystic soul bonds in twilight because there are just some people that tingle your blood sense so much that you know they're gonna you're gonna love them forever and that's what carlisle <sighs> and esme are that's what emmett and 
uh, Rosalie are. That's what Jasper and Alice are. I, I, I don't know about Jasper and Alice. I don't know about Jasper, Jasper and Alice. Alice get together because Alice is like, we're together. And Jasper's like, okay. <laughs> well, well, that could be all of Alice's relationships for all we know. I mean, is that she uh, just like, I like this one. I'm going to say that we have this really deep emotional relationship in the future because I will it to be. And they'll just go along with it. Uh, yeah, because honestly, I think Alice is like, huh, I see a fucking little twunk. Yep, that one. I pick him. <laughs> oh, mm, that's a taste of little twunk right there. At one mine mine. now. Thank you. <laughs> Can we, as far as long as we're talking about Stephanie Meyer um, trying to rewrite her original series in a way that makes more sense, but still having to back herself into a corner. Can we talk about how the glitter stuff does not qualify in this book because it's like when you read the original book and then when you watch the movies it's like oh you just dipped some vampires in some michael's craft glitter <laughs> and apparently that's not at all what it's supposed to look like now according to midnight sun which i'm like i could that makes way more I fucking still, sense i still couldn't get that out of my head and even you're, oh, no, that's you're, fair. you're saying this now and i'm really not sure what you're talking about because all i can the, imagine is the glitter specifically she, the scene she's talking about is the scene in the meadow where yes. uh, Edward reveals himself in the sunlight to Bella for the first time. He describes it as looking like he is on fire. The, yeah. the sun shines and shimmers on his skin in such a way that it looks like he is burning. Yeah. Essentially. That's cool. And that makes more sense for so many different reasons. One, it makes more sense as to why he thought it would scare Bella, because that's kind of terrifying. Two, it makes more sense in... The next conjunction book. with the no, in conjunction with the lore of vampires that is already established before Stephanie Meyer was even born, which is like oh, vampires burn in the sun. That oh, you're fucking yeah. right. Because it would look like they're burning in the sunlight. Yeah, and yeah. they even comment in this book that it's like, oh, that's why that's like a thing that people think is what's happening. So it's like, oh, that makes way more fucking sense. And also, it's it's no longer glitter. It's literally like he's on fire. Is yeah, that it how looks, it's supposed to look? Yeah. Yes. It's supposed to look. Yeah. But to, again, to Bella. Keeping in mind that Stephanie Meyer was on set for the entirety of all of the Twilight movies. So she did sign off on Glitter Boy. Who wouldn't, though? <laughs> who, who wouldn't? So let's discuss, since we talked about the Cullen family, let's discuss um, Renee and, and Charlie. Because I really loved them in this one. I definitely want to talk about that. I just wanted to wrap up one point from the previous discussion in the battle zone thing where they were doing the car chase. Another interesting plot that I wanted to point out with their dynamic with each other is how Jasper's manipulating everyone in that scene oh, yes. to do better. To be focused, yeah. To be focused. He he explicitly stops Edward from being worried about Bella so that he can drive better. Like, yeah. He can he force me to focus on work? He'd be the, I don't think he'd Eddie be said the that's best. possible. You know what? Jasper would be the best therapist. I mean, no. He, the thing is, Jasper no, would not be, be the best, best therapist. ADD medication because Jasper is an incredibly manipulative person, and nobody talks true. about that. He is an incredibly emotionally manipulative person who changes how you think depending upon how he wants the situation to go. Which is why he and Alice are perfect together. So, because she is also incredibly manipulative. I think what you're saying is that all the Cullens need therapy. Yes, except oh, Carlisle. Except I would almost argue Esme's okay. She just has a lot of feelings about her kids. And you know what? What mom doesn't? Yeah. But other than that, they they all fucking need therapy, yeah. Carlisle's fine. <laughs> <But> <laughs> he's yeah. good dad. He's a good man. 
Let's talk about Charlie and and uh, Re- I almost said Renezme. Let's talk about Charlie and Fuck. Renee. So, do you think Stephanie Meyer regrets that? No. Yes. <laughs> I don't think she regrets anything. I think she, she goes. No, this book proves she obviously regrets I something. Don't know. Midnight, or- <laughs> Midnight Sun should be entitled Midnight Sun Twilight Midnight Sun. I have regrets. <laughs> <laughs> so we get thrown a curveball in this book, which was nice because we learned from Edward, obviously she can't read Bella's, he can't read Bella's mind. And he, that's one of the reasons he's so fascinated with her because it's like, I've never met someone who I couldn't plan for, predict, or understand. And for that to be a reason you're attracted to someone, I don't know if I agree with that, but that's not why I'm discussing this. (laughs) So with that being said though, he meets Charlie for the first time and apparently Charlie's thoughts are like, fucking dropping a singular fish into an empty barrel. Like, so there's something well, happening, apparently, but it's so, like... It's not it's necessarily vague. that Charlie is a shallow person. Yeah, no, no, I'm not saying he's shallow yeah, no, no, or no, empty. But Edward, no, Edward notes that he can only sense very base things from Charlie. Yeah. He can't really read Charlie's mind. He can sense that Charlie's around. So he, he notices yeah. when he's there, and he can sense very basic things and sometimes gets flashes of pictures when something is... Yeah. Very strong in his mind, but for the most part, can't really read him. Because she can tell that he's thinking. Like, he's having deep thought, obviously, mm-hmm. but it's mostly, like, he can sense that, okay, he's, like, mumbling or he's he's got a thought going on about he got to get to work on time. Okay, I guess that's what he's thinking about. Like, I'm not exactly sure. Yeah. Because he can never know. The thing that I think he explicitly yeah. states is that Charlie's thoughts never resolve into sentences. When he's trying to read Charlie's mind, the things that he most focuses on are his emotional state. And like Chelsea said, occasional flashes of images, like very strong memories or like daydreams he's having about fishing, that kind of thing. God, those were yeah. great. I he love just, those. Like, Car- just Charlie wants to fish a lot. He just wants he to feel that. I'd rather oh, be way, fishing. Can I, can I tell you guys real quick? Yesterday I was driving down to San Diego and I passed a truck that said fish fast, eat ass. Nice. Amazing. <laughs> that is the opposite of, of course I come fast, I'd rather be fishing. Yeah. <laughs> Those are two distinct moods on the opposite ends of the spectrum. Yep. Oh my God. Well, I just want to know if that was a custom bumper sticker or if many people have it. Anyway. Uh, I want to know why I can't have it. Anyway. Um, <laughs> yeah, so we hear, it, like, the person that Charlie is is somehow innately in him he has this kind of buffer or filter where edward can't really read his thoughts but he sort of can but not really and edward never really noticed it before because a he didn't interact with charlie much before and b he just assumed that charlie was just kind of a shallow boring dude who did not have a lot going on in the thought department yeah he kind of not necessarily that that he was stupid but that he just again not a lot going on up in there yeah. Just like empty space, which is far from the truth. He learns that um, Charlie does have complex, emotionally based thoughts and decision making factor. Every decision he makes is based on, I would like to protect my daughter. I love my daughter. I'm also incredibly lonely. Hey, look, fish. He also and notes fish. how Renee and Charlie came together to make Bella. He notes because we he notes that he almost has no desire to, I guess, for lack of a better term, eat Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> at all. 
Um, when he reads Renee, however, Renee apparently is her blood is so sweet that it's almost like like it's one of those things. Like it's, it's too sweet. It's too yeah. sweet. Like it's one of those candies that it's like if you eat it, it'll make you sick. And how they come together to make Bella, but at the same time, Charlie, Charlie, he can't read it almost at all. Renee <laughs> screams in his head. Yeah, yeah. So Renee's thoughts are basically please and screams into the aether and so much so that she innately somehow people will notice when Renee is around and be like oh shit can I help you oh god oh hello and it's implied that that this is something that happens more than when she's just in distress that there's just something about Renee as a person and her thoughts that are signaling to everyone silently all of the time yes into the fact that it's impossible not to notice that Renee is there not to know what more or less what her objective is wherever she is and also you are impossible to not be able to be like how am i involved in what renee's doing yeah it makes it so she's the center of the universe for better or worse well and and edward is very critical of renee very critical of her because he mentions that she's fine to talk with and she clearly cares about her daughter he also points out that she is the reason that Bella is so much more mature because she had to grow up because she had to be the parent in her house and he resents her for that. But he also resents her for what he sees as like there's a at the end of the book when they're in the hospital and Renee tells Bella like, oh, I've basically been sleeping here in the hospital. Edward points out that her perspective on that is see how good of a mother I am. I've been sleeping in the hospital room to make sure yeah. you're okay. So it also gives us an entirely new perspective on who Renee is as a person, which is interesting. And I'm curious if that will go further. Um, well, I don't think it will. I don't think she's going to write any more books from from Edward's perspective. I think she God, said the I would, other books. I would love a rewrite of the whole series. I would I actually. The thing is, I also am now kind of wanting a rewrite of the whole series from Edward's perspective because yeah. this little bit of learning about Renee and learning about Charlie and learning about how their two like weird quirks combine in Bella explains the giant plot hole of Twilight, which is why the hell does everyone care about Bella? Because Bella is so boring in Twilight. Why the hell does everyone care about her? And it's explained now that there is some innate magical part of her that everyone is immediately kind of drawn to regardless of themselves. Everyone will sees Bella as vague and not empty, but like, I'm not sure what Bella's about, but at the same time, can't look away. Well, it's not just that. It's Edward goes into detail about how all vampires have some aspect of their personality from when they were living that um, gets amplified when when they turn and for some of them that resolves into like special powers or whatever and so actually sometimes we we meet a person and edward kind of ponders what they would be like as a vampire like what part of their personality would be amplified with renee he says it would be her innate ability to sort of center everything around herself so almost the opposite of what Jasper's always doing, which is putting everyone like off of him. Renee would innately make everyone think, look at her all the time. I think what he was saying is that she would basically have the power to enter other people's minds without permission to be like, hey, you, what's up? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Whereas like Edward's always listening. She could project. But also yes. with Jasper, Jasper's whole thing is he can do either one. He can make himself the center that's of attention. That's true. If he no, to. that's true. I was just yeah. I was saying it as a for instance of something that he does throughout this book. Right. But like apparently, even though some of them like it's uh, this power is a lot more special, every single vampire has some part of their personality that is amplified. So for like James, apparently he was some kind of tracker when he was alive. And that's why he's so good at it when he's a vampire. And with Carlisle, it's like he had a much easier time, like not switching to a vampire, but he had a much easier time being like, oh, I'm not going to kill people because that's how he was in real life. He was very caring. He, he already had, and I don't know if this is kind of cliche, he had the Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. He already was, I mean, to do good. And he meant to do that as a vampire or as a human. And with Rosalie, she actually became more beautiful. Rosalie did become just, yeah. beauty was just like the only part about her, I guess. Yeah. Um, with with Carlisle specifically, I think they say that it's his compassion that gets amplified. Yes. Yes. They, they put the, the term to it as his compassion, which I agree. So it also sort of fascinate, like the world itself then becomes more fascinating because you're like, oh, how what would be like with everyone in this series now? It's like, oh, what would be amplified about their personality? Should they turn? And we get more insight onto people like. Jessica, who is another character that becomes way more loathsome, but I think Stephanie Meyer tried to make that more apparent in the in the original book series. Like she just did not like Jessica. But at the same time, we have Ben and Angela who are sort of there in the original series as like the only people that Bella is truly friends with in school. And they're featured in this book, not a whole lot, but still way more than they are in the original series. And you're way more endeared to them as people because... They're way it's just it's just very interesting to like have every single person then when you're told in this book about the lore of vampirism where it's like a certain part of the the, the strongest part of their personality when they're living becomes more amplified. We are actually given more insight onto what everyone's strongest personality, personality trait, trait, is. trait is in context of the lore of vampirism, even the humans who never turn. And yeah, and it's not like every single time Edward's like, if they were a vampire, they'd do this. Because that's not necessarily the point no, of what Chelsea's sort saying. Of just like, it's just that the the writing becomes a focus of Ben is this person and mm-hmm. Angela is this person. And that that is unequivocally the constant of this person's direction. Yeah. It, I think that it was another interesting thing about it, which is possibly a criticism that Stephanie Meyer got from the original Twilight series, is how little the story focused on anyone else but Edward and Bella. There were all of these secondary characters, but really no time was spent with them, which changes as the story goes on to the point where in the last book and she's introducing like 60 characters that you have two chapters to learn about and then never again, which yep. is... Right always a problem in my point of view you you don't want to introduce a lot of people at the end of a book but in this book we do weirdly focus on angela and ben a lot more there's even a scene where edward gets them together like he's the yes. reason they're dating and that's and the, something and he, completely yeah, and he, made up for this book yeah and he pretty much does it because he has such compassion toward angela for being such a good person yeah and for and, and to a certain extent for Ben as well, that he feels like he wants to he wants to help them because he appreciates Angela because Angela Angela's thoughts are always focused on friendship mm-hmm. versus Jessica's thoughts. She, he, he at school 
Edward's like, oh, who has eyes on Bella so I can have eyes on Bella? Because he's worried about her and he's obsessed during that phase. But he says often he hates being in Mike Newton's head and he hates being in Jessica's head because their direction is tainted or their mm-hmm. desires aren't focused on actually I would what, almost what argue are. that Mike Newton is the one character that has not changed from no, Twilight. Not, to at not really at all. Not at nope. all. Or Tyler also. Tyler hasn't yeah. changed. Yeah. So she he he likes Je- he likes not Jessica. He likes Angela because Angela's always paying attention, always wants friendship and is always mm-hmm. listening versus what happens is when he's in Jessica's head it's like he can't even hear what Bella's saying because Jessica's thinking so loudly about am I pretty today yeah and or, also apparently we we get when Edward also hates going into Jessica's head because apparently she still thinks very illicit thoughts about Edward yes <laughs> and that makes him uncomfortable that part was funny to me yes um, <laughs> but there was another bit where uh god it's gone again. This keeps happening. Oh, no, no, no. I've remembered it again. We get to know again, because Edward's in everybody's head, we get to know more about what people thought about certain things. And there's a lot of foreshadowing that is 100% only there because Stephanie Meyer wrote the rest of the series and know yeah. what happens already. So, yeah. for instance, when the first time Jacob appears in the book oh, is when he shows up. up. The first time that Jacob appears in the book is when he is adorable. His his dad show up at the Swan House to basically warn Bella not to to talk to the Cullens anymore. Yeah. And Jake is there and he's being his little 15-year-old self and he makes comments about like Bella smells weird. She it was like is she wearing a yep. bad perfume at the prom and also like uh why is like why, this guy gives me a weird vibe. Like we get these little foreshadowing nuggets for Jacob that already show oh he's already going to be turning into a werewolf. That's something. And the thing is, at first, when that first happened, I was like, I'm going to ignore this because that's too descriptive and Mm -hmm. explicit of a foreshadowing. But no, it 100 percent was there for that reason. But also, we're also given a little bit. And I wish she would have expanded on this more because we talked about how it's like Jacob should have been attracted to Edward. Yeah. um, hundred percent. Obviously, that didn't happen because gay people don't exist. Did you guys see that? We I haven't read it, but I saw that that happened. But we have to I haven't. It. He I does read say, it. I don't understand what my dad's problem with him is. He seems nice. Yeah, yeah, he he does respect Edward in a sense. And later on, even in the other books, he does respect. He hates Edward because he's a bloodsucker. But he does respect that he's treating Bella well or that yeah. he's a gentleman. And that still transfers to the future books. And there's another thing that we sort of get to see in this book, but we don't get to see a lot of, which is the innate horror of vampires. And we only really ever get to see that through a flashback that is had by Billy Black. Yeah. When Mm -hmm. Billy gets a call from Carlisle uh, in the past, it's Edward seeing Billy's memory of this, of getting a call from Carlisle saying the Coens are coming back to La Push. And Billy as the like the direct son of what's his name Ephraim Ephraim Black Ephraim Black is the direct descendant of Ephraim Black one of the people who made the treaty Billy is the person who is in charge of like enforcing the treaty now again and And Billy is old and never had to because he he knew that it was a thing but didn't think much of it obviously he didn't think it would ever happen in his lifetime because the vampires never came back during his lifetime nor the lifetime of anybody else that he knows 
And yeah. so he didn't think it was going to happen to him. And now he's got the innate horror of these creatures. And they the way that he describes them in his memory is he doesn't describe them as people. He does not call Carlisle a man. He calls him a monster. Yes. And I was like, I'm actually really interested in seeing this perspective of them where somebody does treat them like creatures that are not people, that are not human. Yeah. Because the whole time, Bella doesn't treat them any differently from humans ever. She never has any moments really where she's forced to confront how very different they are until she's about to turn into one. What also I thought was very interesting is that because Edward meets Jacob, he also gets an insight into Jacob and relays that to the family because it's like, hey, all of the elders still want to uphold the treaty. But the younger generation doesn't believe the they treaty. They have no idea. It, like, they know it exists, but they think it's stupid and outdated and like a myth. And they're actually much more of a danger to us because like that's how Bella found out we're yes. vampires because they don't they don't want to take it seriously because they think it's stupid. Because at first, some of the Cullen family are like, Edward, why would you tell her? And Edward's like, I didn't. It was the stupid kids down at the beach because they don't believe in us because yeah. the treaty doesn't exist to them. Yeah. And that's well, another interesting exists, but thing. they think it's stupid. Well, yeah. it's like they don't think it's real. They think yeah. it's, again, like you said, they think it's a myth. They think that vampires are fake and that this is just a story that's passed down like so many of their other stories. They don't actually think any of it's real. And then yeah. that's how it gets leaked out because, like, yeah, they don't take it seriously because they don't think it's real. And that's another interesting nuance. So basically, Twilight, Midnight Sun, I Have Regrets, is also incredibly full of nuance that i wish existed yeah. in the original books i would i would say if you haven't read twilight one don't do it don't just read, read midnight read sun, midnight sun just read, instead just read midnight sun it's yeah. it's a good book i would actually recommend to do it if you're like yeah. i got nothing better to do this quarantine go read it it it's wasn't not bad that, it's like i was like i still want to meet stephanie meyer in the Denny's parking lot for many, like, I feel like for completely different reasons now, because originally I'm like, you made this fucking book 26 hours long. How dare you now want to meet her back in the Denny's parking lot? Because I'm like, you had this ability to write a better book series in you and you forced me to read four of these fucking asshole books. No, How she had to grow. You? She had to evolve. That's this, true. The first four books was the journey it took to get here, Chelsea. But I, I want to meet wish... Stephanie Meyer in the Denny's parking lot because I now have opinions about Twilight. <laughs> I have and so many I opinions. disagree with her and I need to fight her about my opinions about her own book series. I almost wish, I honestly wish that this had been, uh, that she, instead of doing Midnight Sun, that she had decided to write a completely separate series about completely separate people, because now I'm just mad. It's like I was already mad about Twilight, and now I'm mad in a completely different way that is almost like even more futile, because it's like these books already exist, but now Midnight Sun exists, and I would read a series from Midnight Sun on. I didn't want to fucking read the original series. Yeah, if Stephanie Meyer does more of the Midnight Sun retellings of Edwards, or if Stephanie Meyer just does a whole new series... I might pick it up. Well, I think we're going to be forced to regardless. I'm aware. I'm aware. I'm yeah. just saying. My, I'd be my, curious. My takeaway from this is just like Mal said, like, don't read Twilight. Read Midnight Sun instead. Just don't read Twilight. Yeah, because a large part of my qualms with Midnight Sun is in comparison to Twilight. And in comparing those two, the two sides of this coin, it's it like, in a sense, we have one side of the coin is a crudely drawn carving 
of Abraham Lincoln or whatever that you can only sort of see if you squint. And the other right. side is an incredibly detailed descript- depiction of the Lincoln Monument. And it's yeah. just kind of like, okay, clearly this is not a finished coin and this is unequal. And also they clash against each other. Yeah. Things yeah. that are said in Twilight clash against things that are said in Midnight Sun. Midnight Sun tries to add things to Twilight that really don't fit in an attempt to make it better. But Midnight Sun on its own is actually a good book. It's yeah, a good it's it a is. good book and if that had been Twilight 1, my god. We would be having a lot of my, like I'd have a Twilight poster. Okay, I don't know about that. But <laughs> not a poster. Maybe some art. Maybe some art. Maybe. Like our well, entire okay, house if, is if, art. If Twilight 1 had been Midnight Sun and then she wrote the next three books also from Edward's perspective this good, I think, yes, this would have been a favorite series of mine. I don't think even it has to be from Edward's perspective. I would actually argue that if she had just been as good of a writer... Even from Bella's perspective, it still would have been decent. I would decent. love to see more from Bella's perspective with this quality of writing. Yeah, like obviously, like a lot of uh, a lot of the parts in this book that are interesting are also when Edward is in other people's minds and we get more of an insight into other characters. But it's still like, again, we're still given more depth of characters even without Edward. the mind reading. Just yeah. in like events that happen yeah. are like way more like giving more insight into like oh bella loves these books bella loves this music bella is like this because this um bella is a compassionate person person and we're not just told that we are given examples it's an it's a classic example of show not tell whereas twilight was all tell no show mm-hmm. whereas midnight sun she actually was like oh that's how you write and then did so where it's like, oh, we're not just told Bella is compassionate. We're shown how it's like, oh, this person that no one ever talks to, Bella wants her to be in her group project because she wants to help her get a better grade so that she can pass the class. She's compassionate. Oh, Bella used to, uh, Bella didn't hang out with people a lot because she felt like she had to be more of a caretaker for her mother so she went to work a lot and that's why she never really went on dates but even then it's like oh i occasionally like to go out with people sure but my favorite thing to do is just like sit in my house or in my backyard because she likes the sun and like read my favorite books and it's like oh this makes more sense and also the very obvious like and i hate to be that person but of course i'm gonna be that person there's a fucking Star Wars reference in this book that is there in is. the original Twilight books that totally I, I laughed at it at the time thinking it was unintentional and it may have been. But now it's clearly intentional because Bella says one of her favorite movies is Empire Strikes Back. And there's a point in both Twilight and Midnight Sun where Bella says, I love you. And Edward says, I know. And in the original books, it's just there. And this book, it's uh, alluded to the fact that. As a as a sort of tongue in cheek joke to the fact reference. that to that Bella's favorite movie is Empire Strikes Back, and that's why he says it. There's another thing that I before we before we continue before we end. Sorry, Mal. Again, no, it's okay. I was just thinking to myself, like my review of this has now been is now less. I now love this movie, le- this book less. <laughs> really? <laughs> because of that bit. <laughs> oh, because one of thing, that. Fuck one you. thing that haunts me about this book is that there is a discussion that they have where Edward is asking Bella about all of her likes and interests. And he asks her about the kind of music she likes. And he asks her, well, what are you listening to now? 
and she mentions a very specific Linkin Park CD. She and does. Edward pulls out from the glove compartment of his car the exact same very specific Linkin Park CD. Yep. And I'm like, am I in a Quizilla fan fiction from 2004? <laughs> are we in 2004? And this is where we are, where this is going to become like a lyric fanfic now. Yeah. Where everyone's going to be talking about going to the MyChem concert or whatever. Because that's how that made me feel. And also they explicitly say in the book that it happens in 2005. And so I was like, cool. <laughs> we're in 2005. That's yeah. the vibe we're going with. Uh, I do want to say that in the original series... Bella says she is uninterested in current music, and that's like presented as a, a manic pixie dream girl fucking annoying ass thing. In this book, it's more explained like, well, I hung out with mostly with my mom, and this is the music she listened to, but I like Linkin Park because someone gave me the CD, and so I decided to listen to it, and I actually really liked it. It's not like she doesn't listen to modern music because she thinks she's better, or like she's way more mature, she's far too mature for modern music, which is how it's presented in the original series. In this book, it's like, I, I just listen to older music because that's what my mom listens to, and yeah. I don't yeah. seek anything out on my own. So just, just don't read Twilight. Don't read Twilight. Just, 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 just read Midnight Sun. And you know what? I think that was my review from the first Twilight. I think mine was don't read Twilight. Yeah. The thing so, is, but it's it's just a little it's just a little bit modified now. Yeah. Yeah. Like we're still telling you not to read it. But I we just are actually you guys telling know. you you should read Midnight Sun, I guess. I want you guys to know that so I have a new Apple Watch and it's got a notification for like when noise is too loud and it's, the entire time we've been doing this podcast it keeps telling me that the noise levels are too loud. It's because of your own voice. <laughs> your own voice is tripping your is tripping your watch. Yeah. So let's go ahead and give this a score. Um, yeah. I give this one really good redemption arc that I'm I'm down to see where the rest of this goes. I don't know if it will go I don't anywhere. Know. I don't know if she'll know. write more from it's, Edward's perspective. It's, it's like when a TV show comes out and everyone's really hyped about it and has a lot of good marketing and the season was really good and the Netflix is like, we canceled it. And I'm like, what the fuck? See, I'm going to I'm gonna compare. Actually, I'm going to sort of give my reading. It's like Heroes, the show. I, I liked that show. Oh, God. I love Heroes so the much. First, it was a good show. Like two seasons uh -huh. of Heroes are amazing. Yes. The rest of the show sucks. And then the writer's strike of 2009 happened. Yep. Yeah, and some shows could recover and some shows could not. Heroes could not. RIP. Heroes could not recover. F in the chat for Heroes. Uh, Mel, do you want to do a Heroes watch-along podcast? Sure, I'd love to. God, I'd love it. <laughs> Wait, I would totally be in on that, though. <laughs> this would be amazing. Anyway, you know, my actual rating for the show is one, I have some regrets but I cannot fix them because my biggest gripe with Midnight Sun are basically the things that Stephanie Meyer clearly wanted to change and couldn't because she had backed herself into a corner. Yep. Uh, my. Oh, I also want to say one thing. I'm sorry. I want to say one thing okay. because I had nearly forgotten that the original Twilight series was totally a religious fucking allegory. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, Stephanie Meyer also forgot that when she was writing most of Midnight Sun. And then at the end, she like, had Edward pray, and I was like, oh, fuck, that's right. Yeah, no, she the she real shoehorned religion in at the end. It's like, oh, just in case you forgot. Just in case you forgot, I'm a Mormon. Just in case you forgot. <laughs> my, my rating is three and a half out of five potential futures that you saw where you're not sure if they're good because they were going to be good 
or they're good because you knew in advance, you know, and you made it that way. Because much like Alice, I think the only reason Stephanie Meyer is able to write this book well is because she has seen the future that everyone has decided and she knows how it's going to be. Okay, but yeah. to be fair, that's what she should have done originally. If you're writing a book series, you should know what's going to happen. <laughs> that is my review of Midnight Sun. I have regrets. That's why I yes. Midnight Sun, I have regrets. But yes, thank you so much for listening to Parlor of the Paranormal. Um, we're going to get this up as soon as possible. Parlor of the Paranormal. Parlor of the Paranormal. <clears throat> yeah. Mal is so upset. <laughs> I've actually had a good time. I read this book way before the ladies, and yeah, it was. It was just it don't was, read Twilight. Yeah. It was good. I'm mad. I'm mad about how good it was. Yeah. I'm just mad. And if you didn't expect that, well, I hope you enjoyed listening. Yeah. Yes. Watch me be... eat my words next time we're forced to read a Stephanie Meyer book, and it sucks. Right. Well, and we'll just be like, you have the potential. Yeah, it would, again, make me way more angry. We uh, are going to be returning next month with another book called The Mermaid's Daughter. Which is not a vampire book for the first time in a long time. In a very long time. I think in like a year. I can't wait. I'm so excited. Thank you very much for Eva, for Eva or Ava. Ava. It's Ava. For recommending or not recommending forcing us to read this book by giving us money um, <laughs> yes. we will acknowledge our bond and we will be back next month with the the mermaid's daughter yeah all right thank you for listening thank you listeners goodbye chelsea goodbye christina goodbye Bye, mal so aggressive about it you're just like just you're just cursing me is what that is yeah. you're just, you're just yeah. casting yeah, yeah, a curse yeah. on my soul hey correct i love yeah. you he just rolled his eyes at me. <laughs> Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Allbird styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. They've designed must-have travel styles for when you need to jet. The lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit make these shoes some of the most packable styles ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Take the Superlight Tree Runner on your next adventure. Its cushy, lightweight foam midsole supports every step and the extra outsole traction gives you the grip to just go for it. The eucalyptus fiber upper adds next-level breathability to keep you going all day. Plus, the Superlight Tree Runner is comfortable and ready to go right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And, because they're super packable, the real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Bye. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. 
Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.